Hi, and welcome to the Feel Good Nook. I'm Ange. And I'm Sam. And you know here, we like to relish in topics that aim to achieve higher consciousness, but also to soothe the soul. This takes on many forms, but today we bring you a conversation about physical and body consciousness. We bring on a refreshing guest, very soothing, calm, and informative soul, who actually goes by the name of the Mellow Soul. <laughs> yeah, she was incredible. We absolutely loved having a discussion with her. Mellow Soul focuses on helping others mellow their soul, just like the name says. She's a Reiki master, a yogi, and a spiritual wealth guide. She used to live in LA, and now she is Austin-based. So she has Reiki services that help people to really get in alignment with their chakras. And chakras was the topic of our conversation. Anytime we have an interview with someone, Angie and I intend on just giving you our biggest takeaways from that interview to give you a little bit more info on what you can expect without giving too much of the information away. Um, mm -hmm. and, then, and then the next part is like the actual interview, which gets into the details. And what we love about the interviews is that people who listen often will message us after and the takeaways that people receive are always very different so mm -hmm. you're going to hear something that resonates for you and what is tapping into your soul which is why we love to do these interviews because angie and mm -hmm. i always have something that we take away and when we share that with each other after the interview it's always a little bit different so yes. looking forward to hearing what you come out of it uh, what comes out for you um, when you listen, um, but for now, and let's talk about our our key takeaways if you want to kick us off. Yes, I would love to. And before I do, if you're a new listener, you have tuned in at the perfect time. This is a topic that everybody can resonate with the chakras. You may know about the chakras, and this will be a nice in-depth analysis, or maybe you're brand new to the chakra system. Mm -hmm. And I believe the correct way to pronounce the word is chakra, like as a mm. U, but we'll use the mm. word chakra as, as it, it, that's the way we pronounce it. But um, if you're also just coming back and you're an avid listener, we love you. We love you yes. so much. And so, we hope so that much. you love this episode. Yes. So without further ado, my biggest takeaway was vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> when she said because I'm just so into words I feel like words mm -hmm. are magic spells like and and phrases are magic spells you yes. know what you call in you bring yeah so the word emotion means energy in motion and I was like hold yeah. up <laughs> <laughs> so I went on a google hunt for the term and got this I quote the Latin derivative for the word emotion is emoter, literally huh. means energy and motion. And I was like, ah, I oh. see that. In addition, I had already known that the chakras translates into the word wheels in Sanskrit. So these are wheels of energy. 
and their energy centers in our body. And I was like, wow, I just saw the connection and the visualization just right. to me. And it just makes complete sense. So I quickly Very understood cool. that energy will cycle in and out and get blocked from time to time in particular places in your body that if unchecked, this can lead to physical manifestations of illness mm -hmm. in these energy centers we call chakras. Mm -hmm. I first heard about chakras and was immediately pulled into the sacred practice that is yoga. I've given myself so much grace and understanding these forces of my unique being. And I'm grateful to be able to discuss this with such amazing men and women listening. Exactly. That is such a good point. I love that you said understanding these forces and understanding the energies uh, because Mel really broke it down. So during her breakdown, what were the chakras? The chakras that I most aligned with after this conversation were the heart and the sacral chakras. I've been going through a spiritual mm -hmm. awakening that has made the third eye or the crown chakra my primary focus opening up to higher dimensions and the divine gateway, which is actually one of the outer, outermost chakras that connects to source. Mm -hmm. I've always had to ground myself because of that. And I'm able now to spot when I'm needing myself. And it's usually when I need to start grounding myself again, because like I'm floating mm -hmm. way up, up there. <laughs> but I never <laughs> considered how unhealed childhood trauma may still be directly yes. contributing to the flare-ups of these negative emotions that Mel describes so thoroughly in this episode. Yeah, those flare-ups. When you say flare-ups, like I think about just like something triggering or something like popping up or like a memory that just kind of registers in one of your chakras. And then it's like there until you can like actually detect it. Like it's almost like playing investigator, like, all right, what am I feeling right now? And mm -hmm. where is this in my chakra? Um, and I can totally relate to what you just said. Um, the ones that I felt most aligned with were the solar plexus and the heart chakra. When you mentioned childhood trauma and how that could have an effect on your present being, and it can be like, a hurtful event or a hurtful memory, like anything that has to do with like the past, I realized that the heart chakra has resonated with me in very many ways because I've always had like this huge capacity to love, even during those like life challenges or like hurtful experiences from the past. I've always like sort of leaned into love to get me through everything. But then I understood later in life through certain experiences that loving actually isn't an easy or innate thing for everyone like I once assumed. Just because I have like the courage or the capacity to love, I often projected that onto people and had a very hard time understanding those who were maybe a little bit more closed off or mm -hmm. who were hard to forgive, or that were just emotionally checked off. And I understood that actually loving is a very courageous thing to do. You have to like decide to love and love again, love again after loss, love again after heartbreak, etc. But the aha moment for me was when she mentioned that the negative emotion to the heart chakra is grief. So the positive is 
the ability to love. And the negative is the grieving. Mm -hmm. And this made me wonder if I have overcompensated on loving over facing my grief fully in life. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, we just had this episode yesterday, so I'm still registering this moment. And I definitely am going to journal about this, but um, she mentioned that we need to fully experience the grief in order to clear that blockage. And when we don't fully let ourselves lean into that grief and comfort ourselves while we're going through the process of grieving, then we can become attached to that emotion of grief, which prevents us to actually fully healing, not use love as a way to mask the grief. Because sometimes you give away your power. It's like you can love, but don't over love. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that too much of anything is actually not a good thing. Right. Right. So it's being um, really clear with what is important for you. Like what, what is deserving of love? And not to say that some things aren't deserving, but I I actually think that some things or some people, um, actually, I don't know if I want to say that because that sounds a little harsh. Well, I, I see what you're saying because like one way to cope with devastation is to, is to, and there's so many ways that people cope. And one Mm -hmm. of those ways I can easily see the overcompensation of love, like mm-hmm. being too loving, always putting others before you, that clearly can step into a world. Yes, toxicity. Yeah. It turns to- you have good intention, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to make people happy, mm-hmm. but you're almost closing yourself off to the internal piece because you're focused on the external. Um, yes. Association and relationship oh. with others. Right. I don't think it's harsh. I think definitely there has to be a balance and it's finding the balance. Do you fit more on the spectrum where you overcompensate and love and that often leaves you feeling like you're not getting that in return? You know, it's the Mm -hmm. give, the give. And also the other side of the balance beam would be closed off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you want to be both. Oh, you don't want to be closed off, but you want, you want to be loving, right? But part of the positive emotion is not only your capacity to love others, but it's also self-love. Yes. And, and I think to your point, it's like an act of self-loving is also creating some boundaries and understanding how much you can, like, what are the limits to what you can give? And part of the lesson is understanding how much to give others and how much to give to yourself because that should be an equal balance like if you're constantly giving and you're not receiving as much then there's an imbalance Mm -hmm. in that dynamic right so you want your love to be reciprocated because once you give too much you feel depleted and then that's actually not self-loving because you should always be filling up your cup first yes And I think that everyone has a unique framework for how they feel, how they live their lives, and then also just factoring in history and how you grew up. Mm -hmm. Like everyone comes to the table with a different set of skills. And even though, yes, we say that this is the balance, 
the balance for another person is going to look a little different. So yes. it's all about tuning into thyself. Yeah. First, and then outpours the love. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It should really come from within first. And uh, that made me just think about the other, the other thing that really resonated was when Mel talked about how we all have our own individual energy blocks, but we are also affected by the energy blocks of the collective or the cultures that we are associated with. Um, you just mentioned family, right? Mm-hmm. Like childhood trauma, that's a culture. Your friends, that's a culture. Um, your actual cultural heritage, whether you're a Latina or whatever culture you have roots in, like that's another culture. And um, the times that I focus on my chakras, it's always been very individual. Like I don't really reflect on the collective chakras. Mm -hmm. It's always just been like, how am I feeling and checking in with myself? And I feel a certain way and if I and if I feel a certain way, I often assume it's just something that is coming up for me. But Mel brought up a very valid point about how women have collective energy block because women have been oppressed and objectified for centuries. Yes. So one of these chakras you'll learn is something that Mel sees as a common theme with women. One of these chakras is always impacted. So I hope that you're wondering and guessing which one it is and that will be (laughs) soon revealed so I completely agree with you I never thought about a collective energy block yeah yeah and and it just like brought me back to the idea of like breaking these generational curses Mm -hmm. and reflecting how are we individually contributing to these unrealistic and dated expectations of women Yes, the way we view ourselves, mm-hmm. 100%. The way we view and ourselves, the way, the, the way we're portrayed in media. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The way that we think we need to look, the things that we think we should be able to do. And it's reflecting on that. And, and more importantly, like how, how are we supporting and clearing these energetic blocks for women as a collective? To me... That is taking note and doing more of what isn't expected for women to do or to feel. So in large part, that is knowing our self-worth. That is taking a stand for ourselves. That's accepting our feminine power and embracing who we are. Yes, and, and although, mm-hmm. that, although we are saying feminine power, we do want to mention that we value the male perspective and we hope that any males listening or even females, uh, if they're, if you're feeling underrepresented, please hop on our Instagram and let us know how this is resonating with you, how, how this relates to you, male or female. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just, we want to point out that we do kind of focus on the feminine aspect because we're all, females but also just Mel has that experience with women so yeah that's not to you know intentionally leave out our wonderful masculine counterparts Mm -hmm. so it's really just about accepting our feminine and masculine aspects Mm -hmm. and embracing who we are Mm -hmm. you know not related to gender just who you are your soul 
Yeah. Because we all have these chakras. I, I hope that um, the males who are listening to it actually find this relatability with the feminine energy because every male also has feminine energy just like every female has the masculine energy yes and really understanding this duality is what really makes for a healthy balanced lifestyle and we all have so much in common it's just that we have different cultural blockages and And we would love to hear uh, yes as you listen and you're a male and you're like okay I feel like this is the blockage. This is the collective blockage for men. We will be so happy for you to just chat with us, inform Mm -hmm. us, educate us, share with us. And really, you can do that on our Instagram at the feel good knock. And or feel free if you know us, send us a text, give us a phone call, whatever you feel so inclined to do. Exactly. And without further ado, join us in welcoming Melissa Kramer, the Mellow Soul. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Hi, Mel. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited to be here. And so are we. We follow you on Instagram at the.mellow.soul and love your story and your mission. The term mellow is already so soothing and we are here today to learn about and discuss the chakras or the chakras and how they can directly impact things such as body positivity, self-confidence, self-healing, all the good things. Yes, and we wanted to really take this time out to learn from you, you know, so much knowledge about the chakras and your personal experience with navigating, learning about the chakras and using them to your advantage to heal yourself, we found so empowering. So today we wanted to jump in and talk about the connection between our chakras and how we view ourselves. It's one of my absolute favorite topics is talking about the chakras. So I'm happy to jump right in and get started. Awesome. So if you want to give us a deep brief, um, what are the chakras like primarily? And then get into like why it benefits us to be in tune with our chakras. Yeah. So our chakras are our internal energy centers. We have these things called meridian lines, which are lines of energy that run from the crown of our head all the way down to our feet. And if you're familiar with Chinese medicine or acupuncture, this is actually the basis for how acupuncture works. They take the needles and they stick them through the skin into these meridian lines to help move stagnant energy. So our chakras are actually the intersection points of all of these meridian lines. And we have probably over like 100 chakras in the body, but we have seven main chakras that most people are familiar with. And these are the chakras that live along our spine. Sometimes they're referred to as the rainbow bridge because each of them represents a different color of the rainbow. So if you've ever heard that term, maybe Mm -hmm. in a yoga class, in a meditation class, if you've ever done something like Reiki healing, you might be familiar with the chakras already. Each chakra represents a different theme in our life. And each chakra also governs a different physical part of the body. So they're kind of linked with different organ systems, nerve plexes, glands in our body. 
Um, and they also represent our energetic and our spiritual health. So they have a really well-rounded well holistic view of what our health is. So we have the physical side as they connect to the organs and the different systems of the body, but then also the emotional, the energetic side that ties into whatever theme that chakra represents. And usually that's beliefs about ourselves, our values, how we carry ourselves and kind of our behavioral traits as we operate in the world. Um, so we have these seven main chakras that live along our spine. I'll kind of walk us through each one um, and go into a little more detail on what it represents and what can happen when a chakra is blocked. Great. So for our seven main chakras, the first one is at the base of our spine, and this is our root chakra. It governs our lower extremities, so our legs, our hips, our feet, our rectal area, and it is our chakra for feeling grounded and having foundation in our lives. It's our center for feeling secure, feeling safe, feeling like we have our basic needs met. It's a very primal chakra. And each chakra has a negative emotion that's associated with it. And this one is fear. So if we have a lot of fear in our lives and we're attaching to that emotion of fear, we can cause a block in the root chakra, and then we won't have access to feeling grounded, to feeling secure, to feeling safe. I've seen a lot of people in my Reiki practice over the last two years really struggling with the root chakra because we are living in a time of such uncertainty with the pandemic, um, even with the election last year, like there was just so much collective energy around fear um, mm -hmm. that really started to affect people's root chakra. Yes. And when we block off that energy center, um, we can cause problems in the hips, in the rectal area, um, also in our legs. If you have anything like restless leg syndrome, twitching in the lower extremities, that can be linked to a blocked energy center. And then moving up, we have the sacral plexus, which is in our reproductive area. So this is a couple inches below the navel. It governs obviously our reproduction. So our ovaries, our uterus, our testes, if we're men, um, and it governs fertility. But it's also our center for sexuality, pleasure, joy, expression, being able to express ourselves emotionally, and also our center for creativity and inspiration. And the negative emotion associated with the sacral plexus is guilt. So if we're holding on to a lot of guilt, we can't let things go, we can't forgive ourselves, then we can create an energy block here and we won't have access to being intimate and vulnerable. We won't have access to our cre creativity and our inspiration. And when we have that energy block, it can actually create issues with our physical body through reproduction and infertility. And then moving up, we have our solar plexus, which is in our stomach area. This is my favorite chakra. It is the powerhouse of our entire energetic system. And this chakra governs obviously the stomach, but also the liver, the gallbladder, our whole digestive system, so the intestines. Um, and it is our center for self-worth, self-acceptance, really knowing who we are and being proud of that. It is our center for feeling good enough, feeling worthy, feeling deserving. It's also where we find our motivation and our willpower. So if we have um, an energetic block here, that would be coming from the negative emotion of shame. So if we're holding on to a lot of shame, we can't really accept ourselves. Until we release that shame, we're not able to fully know ourselves and 
trust ourselves and be okay with who we are. So if you have that energetic block, you're going to block off access to your motivation, to your willpower, to feeling good about yourself. And that can also manifest in the physical sense through digestive issues. So if you're someone who struggles with stomach pain or bloating, that could be a sign that perhaps you have a blocked solar plexus chakra. And then moving up a little further, we have our heart chakra, which is obviously in our heart space. Um, it governs the lungs and our heart. And this chakra is our center for love, obviously, but most importantly, self-love. It is our ability to give and receive love, mostly from ourselves. So if we're not able to give ourselves loves, give ourselves love or receive love from other people, if we become uncomfortable with that and kind of closed off and don't prioritize our needs, um, we can create an energy block here. And the negative emotion associated with the heart chakra is grief. So if you've lost a loved one or gone through a heartbreak, um, gone through a divorce, even if it's your parents going through divorce, that can cause a block in that energy center. And in a physical manifestation that can create chest pain, it can have upper respiratory issues. Um, maybe if you struggle with getting sick a lot, that can be a sign that the heart chakra might be blocked. And then we have the throat chakra, which is obviously in our throat. And this is, um, this governs our thyroid, our throat, our esophagus, and it is our center for communication. But it is also our center for authenticity and wisdom being able to authentically speak who we are and stand up for ourselves. And when we have a block in this center, it can come from deceit and manipulation. So if we are in a situation where we feel very deceived or we feel like we're being manipulated, that can cause the throat chakra to block off. Um, physical manifestations of this obviously would be issues with the thyroid, um, which is actually something I have dealt with. I have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid disorder. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely had a blocked throat chakra when I started going through my healing process. I had a really hard time speaking up for myself. Um, and then we have our third eye chakra, which is located in between our eyebrows. It governs our eyesight, our brains, our sinus cavities, and it is our center for self-reflection. It's also where we have intuition, imagination, visualization, and the negative emotion associated with the third eye is illusion. So if we feel like we've been living under false pretenses, if we feel like we've been kind of, I don't wanna say deceived, but we've been living in a way where there's an illusion of what's really real. An example of this, can come from if you grew up in a super strict religious household where you weren't allowed to question the doctrine. As you get into adolescence, which is actually when the third eye chakra it starts to develop, um, mm -hmm. you might start to question things and you might be shut down. And when that happens, you know, you start to see this veil of illusion and that can close off that energy center and make it really hard for you to access your innate intuition and your innate wisdom, what you feel is right in your body. Um, and it can block off your imagination and your visualization. Wow. Physically that can, yeah, it's pretty powerful. Um, physically that can manifest into problems with your vision, migraines, headaches, sinus problems. If you get a lot of sinus infections, um, that can be a sign perhaps that you're not as open in the third eye as you could be. And then finally, mm -hmm. we have our crown chakra, which is at the top of our head. 
And this is our chakra that governs our brain. Um, this is what the most spiritual chakra. It's the one that has to be open in order for all of the other chakras to receive the energy that they need to receive. And um, it's all about self-knowledge and understanding and bliss. So if you've ever gotten into like super deep meditation, maybe during a sound bath or something, and you kind of hit that bliss point where you're just, you almost feel like you're floating. Um, that's when your crown is like super open, super illuminated, um, and the energy is flowing very, very quickly. Um, the negative emotion associated with the crown chakra is attachment. So the more that we attach to things outside of ourselves, whether that's expectations of others, whether that's things we want in our life, attaching to success, attaching to material things, um, the more disharmony that's going to create for us and the more suffering we're going to experience and the more that's gonna, going to affect the crown chakra. Mm. So that's pretty much a rundown on the main seven chakras. I know it's a lot of information, but I just find them to be so fascinating um, and the ways that they affect our behavior in the world. Thank you so much for the breakdown. It was very thorough. I appreciate that you associated positive um, feelings or thoughts or aspects of each chakra and also correlating them with the negative. I feel like a lot of us go through a lot of these uh, cycles and uh, feelings. And you mentioned the crown chakra has to be open in order for all the other centers to be activated. And I was left wondering, I think I think about the chakras in reverse, um, mm. working from the root, grounding yourself so that you can open up mm. your crown chakra. So can you talk a little bit about how the chakras can get blocked and what that really means? Yes, absolutely. So our chakras can become blocked in two ways. So our chakras develop throughout our lifetime. Um, starting with the root chakra, that begins development actually when we're in our mother's womb, all the way up until one years old. And then they kind of move up. I don't remember off the top of my head every single you know time frame for the chakras, but I know that the solar plexus, I believe, is age two to four. The heart chakra is age four to seven. Um, the throat is, um, I think, seven to 12. And then third eye is adolescence. And the crown chakra is through adulthood. So if we have specific types of trauma that happens to us within certain age ranges as we're growing, depending on the theme of the trauma, it can affect the development of that chakra. So the chakra may not develop fully properly. And then when you're in adulthood, you've just been living your life kind of with an imbalance the whole time. Um, the other way that chakras can become blocked is just living life and having external stress factors. So if you have something happen um, externally, whether that's from your job, relationships, family, um, even just your own self-esteem stuff that can happen, you can create these energy blocks if we hold on to those negative emotions that I went through for each chakra and mm -hmm. don't really move through the full process of emotions and release kind of the shame, the guilt, the fear, all of those things that are holding us back. Um, I like to use the heart chakra as an example a lot because I think that's one most people can relate to really easily. Um, we've all been through breakups. We've all had heartbreak. We've all experienced the feeling of grief. Um, when we go through the grieving process, you have to feel it to heal it. You have to allow yourself to grieve. 
But I think what happens a lot of times is that feeling is so uncomfortable for people that they block it off. And mm-hmm. what you're actually doing is attaching to the grief. You're not allowing to, you're not allowing it to move fully through you and process it and get over that hump of grief to release it. So you're creating that block in your heart because you're not addressing it. But if we can allow ourselves to feel the guilt of whatever we're feeling, to feel the shame, to feel the fear and move through it, then we won't create that block. Maybe you'll have a bit of an imbalance during that time, whatever you're going through. But as long as you can commit yourself to feeling through it fully, you won't create a long-term block, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes a ton of sense. That's so interesting uh, that you mentioned how we can become so attached to like the the negative mm-hmm. feeling from each of these chakras. Um, some people like do get attached to grief, for example, where mm-hmm. they don't want to see or are afraid to see what's on the other side. It's almost as if they don't believe that they can truly be happy or that, that can, mm-hmm. they can be truly healed. And uh, I didn't actually see that as like an attachment. I just kind of thought that it's just the length of the grief. Like you can't really say how long someone's going to grieve mm-hmm. for, but to your point, um, I think it's just so such a different perspective to just hear it out loud that you have to just feel the grief and like dive into mm-hmm. that grief um, because that could probably shorten it and just make sure that you don't have an unhealthy relationship to that, um, that negative component. So as you were reading um, the, the chakras and explaining a little bit more, I was trying to like detect for myself, like where, where at, where are my chakras at? Um, what is your tip or how can someone who is very new to um, understanding chakras identify where they are or like where the imbalance is in their chakras? Yeah, I love that question because I was able to also determine once I started learning about the chakras before I did Reiki, before I knew how to test my own energy, um, I was able to detect which of my chakras had blocks just based on learning about them. Um, So I love sharing this information. Um, One of the ways is every time we have an energetic block, it affects our behavioral traits. So it affects how we treat other people, how we show up in the world, how we treat ourselves. And I actually have a ton of information on this on my website, themellowsoul.com. If anyone wants to go check it out, I have a whole section on chakras and I kind of break down all of the behavioral traits that are highlighted when you have a chakra that's out of balance. Um, Mm. So you can go look there, read a little deeper into it, but just based on the information we've shared here already, for me, it's really identifying the negative emotion, like realizing, oh, I have a lot of shame. Oh, I, I feel guilt a lot. And also looking at what each theme of each chakra is supposed to represent in your life. So for instance, um, when I started my healing journey, I recognized that my solar plexus was blocked based on reading about it and learning about it actually through yoga training. And I was able to identify that it was blocked based on the fact that I didn't feel super motivated. I didn't have a lot of willpower. I didn't really accept myself. And I was holding on to a lot of shame 
in mm-hmm. how I was treating myself and treating my body at the time because I was struggling with eating disorders and body dysmorphia, which I know we're going to talk about more um, later in the episode. But I was able to identify, oh my gosh, that center must be blocked because I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel deserving. And I don't feel motivated. I was just in kind of a place of numbness. Mm -hmm. um, And I had so much shame. And I knew I had the shame, but I was really, really scared to look at it. So yeah, Yeah. if you look at the negative emotion and the positive theme of the chakra, you should pretty easily be able to identify where you might have some imbalances. Awesome. Thanks for the resource. Definitely going to check that out. Yeah, of course. Mel, is there a way for us to have chakras open within our body while still having other chakras that may be in balance? Or is there like a true like transitional period where the chakra before or after um, can't fully open unless you heal? So if you're going from like the root, if your roots blocked, then is that not allowing you to open up your sacral chakra? So yes, but kind of reversed. So our energy, the energy moves down through the crown of our head and goes down to the bottom chakra and then cycles back up. Um, So what I tend to see most is through my Reiki practice, working with clients, if you have a blocked chakra, we'll use the heart as the example, a lot of times the chakras below it will also be blocked because you've closed off that energy center. So the energy can't flow freely through that chakra anymore to reach those lower chakras. I see. So for instance, if you go through a heartbreak, you have a breakup, your heart chakra temporarily kind of closes off as you're going through the grieving process. Um, you're not going to be able to access the lower chakras and the energy that's held there as easily because that mm. heart is kind of blocked off. So the theme of the heart is obviously self-love and giving and receiving love, but it's also our center for compassion and gratitude. So when mm-hmm. you're going through this breakup, you're not going to have a lot of compassion for yourself. You're not going to have a lot of gratitude for the things in your life. But then below that, we have the solar plexus, which, as I mentioned, is kind of our powerhouse. It's our mm-hmm. motivator center. It's our feeling of self-worth, of feeling good enough. So now you've had this heartbreak, your heart is blocked, and now all of a sudden you don't feel good about yourself because that mm-hmm. energy center has become blocked. And then moving down to the sacral plexus now, which is our center for joy, expression, creativity, inspiration. Now, because the solar plexus and the heart are blocked, now we don't really have connection to our inspiration. We feel kind of Mm. dull. We feel like we can't express ourselves. We are kind of timid with intimacy and vulnerability because of this heartbreak. And Mm -hmm. then below that, we have the root chakra, which is our center for feeling safe, feeling secure. And now all of a sudden we don't feel safe. We don't feel stable. We don't feel grounded because we've gone through this heartbreak. So having one blocked chakra really does affect the whole system. That's why it's so important to partake in practices that keep your energy flowing, keep your energy open so that as you go through these things, if you go through a heartbreak, like life is always going to happen. We're always Mm going to have energetic imbalances at different times. But the faster you can move through that process and release that 
grief, release that shame, that guilt, that fear, whatever that negative emotion is, um, the healthier your chakras and your energetic system is going to be. Amazing. I love how you can create a habit out of just checking in with your chakras so that you can Mm -hmm. move through them quicker. Mm -hmm. And you'll do that if you like can identify like what are your behavioral traits? What's changing? What's shifting? And then that way Mm -hmm. you can just really make make it a point to transition over and give give that chakra or that space or that feeling the amount of time and attention that is due for you to really get past it. Yeah, there's so much power in understanding ourselves and understanding our energy. And I think the chakras are our guide. It's our map to understanding mm-hmm. how energy works in the body and having that knowledge of what each center represents and how it can affect how you feel and how you behave. To me, that's power. Like that was yes. power for me, really learning about energy of the body and how it affects everything. It affects your emotions, how you feel about yourself, but it also affects your physical health, like illness and disease manifest from blocked energy. Mm. So I was also amazed to discover on my journey and learning about the chakras that you can really eat and feed your chakras. If there's an imbalance, Mm. there's, there's a reason why we have plants and fruits and vegetables in a variety of colors and they really serve to help you in balancing whatever's in balance and also just giving the attention to that chakra. So whenever I need some creativity, I'm looking at yellow foods, herb, orange, um, and same thing with the crown chakra, the purple foods. And there's so much correlation with this that I sometimes struggle with people who don't believe in the chakras but when you started mentioning the heart chakra like that's the one that everyone resonates with Mm -hmm. but people think it's very strange and will often say like we don't have a third eye we just have two eyes there's a reason why you only see two on my face and it's it's almost that disbelief that there's something more in our bodies that a lot of people I think right now are are dealing with And I think that that also correlates with why certain chakras are blocked because we're not ready to receive this information or we're not ready to open up our, our crown to these ideas. So Mel, in your Reiki practice and in working with many clients, you mentioned earlier how you noticed that a lot of your clients coming in had imbalances in their root chakra Is there, and I believe you work mostly with women, is there a Mm -hmm. common theme that you notice as a collective for women that perhaps is blocking women in any chakra? Yes. So I have seen mostly kind of across the board, um, unless somebody's chakras are all open, which does happen. I get clients that have totally open energy. Um, But for the most part, most people are coming in with at least a couple blocks And most of those tend to be in the lower chakras. So the root chakra, the sacral plexus, and the solar plexus. Um, The most common, I would say, is the solar plexus chakra, which, again, is our center for willpower, um, self-acceptance, self-worth. And across the board, I just see a lot of women struggling with self-worth. 
with mm-hmm. really valuing themselves, loving themselves, accepting themselves. So there's a lot of work I do with women specifically around opening up the solar plexus and then simultaneously kind of opening the sacral and the root because they're obviously blocked as well since the solar plexus is blocked. Right. And body consciousness and body positivity is a trendy thing that I think that we're just like all kind of focusing on. There's a lot of celebrities and a lot of people in the public eye who are being a lot more open about their self-image and the struggles that they have in building their self-confidence or just having a healthy relationship with who they are and how they feel. And important, most importantly, like how they perceive their body. Mm. So when it comes to that, like what does body consciousness and body positivity mean to you um, as it relates to your knowledge uh, with chakras and also so many clients who are women um, would love to just focus in on body consciousness and body positivity? Yeah, so I think there is a really, really strong connection between kind of body image issues, body dysmorphia, um, being really, really hard on ourselves and our bodies and blocked energy centers. Um, Most of what we experience in life is manifested from blocked energy. So if we're looking at women specifically, especially in my field of work, which is Reiki healing and really assessing those blocked energy centers assessing the solar plexus, which is our center for self-worth, and our sacral plexus, which is our center for intimacy and vulnerability. And both of those house guilt and shame, how can we tie that into how we view our bodies? Well, we hold a lot of shame about our bodies. We hold a lot of guilt in things that we eat, if we don't exercise enough, if we don't fit into this outfit or fit into this size, we hold guilt and shame about that. So it's all connected. And what I've seen is women who come see me struggle with these lower chakras being blocked. And a lot of them also struggle with body image and with things like eating disorders Mm -hmm. and just not being in full acceptance of who they are. And I find it very synchronistic in my own life because that's something that I have struggled with pretty much my entire adult life. I have struggled with body image and my relationship with food and my relationship with myself. So the more that I started to explore those deeper layers of myself and recognize my behaviors around food and exercise and my behaviors around my body, I was able to see that the way I treated myself was a direct reflection of how I felt about myself deep, deep, deep down on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected in a lot of the people that I work with. So in terms of body positivity and body consciousness, you know, what it means to me now after going through this healing journey and working with so many women that are struggling with this as well, it really comes down to self-acceptance. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean It's about loving your body and celebrating your body every moment. To me, it's more about your body actually becomes secondary. It's not the focal point anymore. You're not channeling all of this energy, this anxiety into your physical appearance because you feel whole on the inside. You've accepted yourself on the inside. You truly love yourself, maybe for the first time on the inside. And Mm -hmm. from that 
workplace, body positivity blooms because you're just positive about everything because you feel good. Yes. That's, that's such a good point. Um, and I, for the, for the same reason about what you're talking about, how you just have to like accept yourself from within and that's, what's really going to transform. Um, I think is super crucial. And I really, really love the point that you talked about how we have to maybe focus less on our physical body and just really focus in on how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Lizzo for that fact. And there was this quote that um, I read about her. Uh, She said, like, I would like to be body normative. I want to normalize my body. Being fat is normal. I think now I owe it to the people who started this. And there's like this tension between what body positivity started as being something, Mm -hmm. you know, positive um, to allow people who are maybe like marginalized or judged or criticized for being a certain body type Mm -hmm. or for being so-called overweight. Um, That kind of shifted into focusing so much on being body positive that like Mm -hmm. now you're just obsessing about your body image. So it no longer has a purpose that it did. Um, And I loved how she just kind of twisted it into saying like body normative, like just being neutral and just being okay with like how your, your body is, whether you're curvy or not curvy, it's less about the body and just more so about just being you. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, I don't know. I feel like there's still like a conflict with how we are approaching feeling better about our bodies if the term body is there because it just gives (laughs) it a focus. Yes, yes. I love that point. For me, trying to overcome my body image issues, at first I was trying to tackle them from the outside in. So I was trying to change my environments around me and change my relationship to the things around me. So for me, that looked like using affirmations, um, trying to reframe my thoughts a little bit, you know, starting to filter the content that I consumed on social media, changing up the types of accounts that I follow to try to remove any triggers um, and give myself space to heal. And that was a beautiful process for me. It really helped me reframe some things for myself, but it only got me so far because it was surface level and I wasn't digging deep into the reasons that I had these issues to begin with. And to kind of touch on that point of like body, I like to call it body neutrality versus body positivity. Um, I was trying to go from a very negative place with my body and jump to a super positive place because Mm. this body positivity movement started to gain traction. And it was like, love yourself, you know, affirm all these things to yourself, you know, that you should believe about yourself, like switch your mindset. And while I believe there's so much power in trying to reframe the mind and switching your mindset, it can be really hard to go from a super negative place to a super positive place in a short Mm -hmm. amount of time. 
So I really had to learn to adopt body neutrality and get to a place where I don't want to focus on my body all the time. I don't want to stand in the mirror and tell myself how much I love my body right now Mm -hmm. because I don't even want to put the attention on it. So while the movement started with good intentions, I do see how it can create more stress and can create more focus on the thing that you're trying to heal. And sometimes focusing directly on it just amplifies the problem. Um, So for me, I started to shift, like the first things I did were affirmations and all of that. And it, it got me so far, but I started to feel that disappointment and that feeling of like, well, I'm failing at this. I don't love my body. And this is really, really hard. Um, and kind of shift into that space of like, okay, I'm actually just going to pull my attention away and I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to go into these energy centers and figure out where this is all manifesting from, where the root cause of all of this is. And I'm not going to focus on the manifestation of it. I'm not going to focus on the surface level, the way that it's expressed to the world. I'm going to focus on the root. Um, so I started to do that and that helped me shift into that more neutral space with my body. I love that so much. I am thinking about just like the mom bod and the Mm. struggle with the snapback culture that we see where women are applauded and put on a pedestal for being able to get their body back. And it's like, you never lost your body, but it almost feels like it when you have a child latched to your breast you often do feel like, wait, this isn't my body. Like I need to, and this goes even back to when you're pregnant, I need to eat for the baby. I need to focus on the baby. And it's suddenly like you jump outside of your body and now your body serves a different purpose. So as I grapple with um, these things and listening to the body neutrality and how that's completely more acceptable, I kind of wish I would have known that back then because I definitely struggled with not feeling in my body. I felt like Mm. it wasn't mine. And in coming back and when people see me, they see this petite, small build girl, girl, because I've always looked like I'm a child. I've just been (laughs) built that way. I don't know why. And now in my 30s, it's more like a compliment. But I'm like, oh, you know, you look so young. And I'm a whole teacher. And I'm mistaken for a kid probably (laughs) 10 times a day. It's kind of like, wait, why is everyone so focused on, you know, what's on the outside? Because in the inside, how I feel is not the way I'm presenting myself. So... I guess I am bringing this up because I have now come to a place where I love myself. And Mm -hmm. although when I stand in the mirror and I put on a dress and I'm trying to be sexy or, you know, a special (laughs) occasion, I'm going out. I, as much as I can read these affirmations, I'm like, oh, you're showing too much or oh, this doesn't fit right. Like it's, look at all this, look at the stomach, look at this. Like there's a focus on your body so much and it comes from you primarily and Mm -hmm. then it's projected out into the world. So what are some ways that, what are some techniques, I guess, to bring us back 
And is there a chakra that we can focus on to bring us back whenever we start feeling like we're spiraling out and we're getting sucked into these negative emotions about our bodies, especially after bearing a child and having to present yourself in a certain way after the whole birthing process and not feeling like you are in your body. Like, what do you, what do you do if you ever feel yourself spiraling out and you have to bring yourself back? Yeah, I think everything you just shared is so powerful. So thank you for sharing that with us. I have not had children yet, so I haven't had that experience of kind of being outside of the body. I know so many women speak about that in the experience of pregnancy, your body is no longer your own. You know, people say you feel like a milk factory or you feel like (laughs) a cow, you know, because your purpose is to just like provide nourishment for this baby. And it's not really your body anymore at that time. Um, And I just have a lot of respect for every mother that has gone through that experience. I just want to say this before I answer your question. I think snapback culture is again, just another distraction. I think Mm -hmm. the experience of pregnancy, birth itself, and then motherhood are the biggest reminders to women of how powerful we are. I believe we are the superior gender. Like we bring life into this world. We are the reason that we are able. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We are the reason that our species continues and evolves. Um, So I just see it as another representation of taking worth kind of away from women. And I think that's so echoed in the culture that we live in, you know, women have been oppressed for centuries. Um, I think collectively we all share in that oppression and we share the energy blocks that come with that oppression. And I think motherhood in general, there's so much shaming around Mm -hmm. how people mother, um, how their experience was, um, a lot of mom shaming. And I think we're starting to highlight that a little more and hopefully that's changing, but I think snapback culture is a way to further pull women out of the experience of motherhood. You're, you're supposed to be present in that experience. That's when you feel the most connected and the most powerful you've probably ever felt. And instead of really owning that and tuning into it more, we're pulling ourselves out, taking time and energy away from that connection, that bond with our child to obsess about our bodies and not to say that that's our fault, you know, that's we're products of our environment. Um, And I do think that that again is coming from blocked energy, that solar plexus, that sacral plexus, especially after birth, you know, using that reproductive center. If you've had any sort of traumatic birth that could cause energy blocks in those centers as well. So it's just perpetuating the issues that we all already had and it's Mm -hmm. amplifying them in a new way. And it's a new manifestation of this blocked energy. So in terms of tips of kind of realigning ourselves and getting back into our energy centers and clearing that energy, when we feel really critical of ourselves or we feel really down on ourselves in the moment, for me, the best thing that works is thinking about something else having awareness in the moment of, wait a minute, I'm doing it again. I'm standing in front of the mirror. I'm picking myself apart. This is a waste of my time. It gets me nowhere. It doesn't make me feel better. 
So the first step is just having that awareness, being able to pause in that moment and recognize the pattern and then breaking the pattern and saying, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to think about my beautiful child and how much I love them. You know, whatever it is that works for you to kind of shift your mindset out of it, you're pulling yourself out of that negative vibration and getting yourself back into more neutral territory. And then when you're in that neutral territory, you can start to kind of lift up and get more into those positive vibrations. For me, that's been the quickest tip when I'm in that moment of spiral in my mind. Um, and that doesn't only pertain to body image stuff. That's just anxiety in general. When I'm in that monkey mind and my brain's going a million miles an hour and I'm just like totally spinning out, if I can have that awareness of, wait a minute, I'm in control of this. I don't have to feel this way and then choose to think about something different. Table, whatever you're thinking about, I'll come back to it later if it's important, but I'm going to choose to distract myself and think about something else so that I can get out of that negative vibration and get myself back to kind of like a baseline. That's, That's powerful. A, Thank you. Yes. Yes. I love that tip. It's so simple, right? Like it makes mm-hmm. it very actionable where like I can already envision myself if I'm looking at myself in a mirror and thought comes in like it's just think about something else affirm yourself Mm -hmm. in a different way appreciate feel feel your curves like um Mm -hmm. what's helped me is just like the feeling versus like just objectifying my body Mm -hmm. I've noticed that like I'll like put my hands and I'm like but this feels really good like this is like the body of a woman like this is Mm -hmm. I'm a full woman and it feels great and that's amazing yeah, there's like something with the brain where you like, do like physical, it's kind of like yoga, like the mental, physical interaction that helps you to really transform because you're actually being more tactful with it versus just visualizing. Mm. Um, You know, I feel like that has helped a little bit. And I just want to say, I love that you have taken a stand for women. Um, I haven't heard someone speak so <laughs> vocally about the power of a woman and our bodies and the capability of us birthing babies and bringing new life into this earth. Um, I've often silently have had the same thoughts, you know, like <laughs> how fucking amazing is it that yeah. babies are born in our bodies? <laughs> it's pretty crazy (laughs) it is it is and I think that's why I've held off so long to have a child um now I'm like reaching my mid-30s and this idea of having a child is becoming more and more real and so just having conversations with both of you ladies just today has already been so impactful because I feel that these are the conversations that I need to really helped me in this journey and feeling more confident and prepared to step into that next phase in my life as a woman. Um, So really, really appreciate that. And it just really comes down to building a relationship with yourself, building a relationship with your body, and also seeing the ways in which you are respecting yourself or disrespecting yourself. There was, I was in this panel at work recently, and one of the panelists, she um, shared a tip and she said, like, if someone were to ask you to list all the things that you love, 
and you said them out loud, how long would it take for you to mention yourself? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, actually I was already listing some things off and like, I didn't start with myself and I'm with myself 24 <laughs> seven. What really I think happened in my personal experience is like, I have seen my body change since I turned 30 and I'm 33. Well, I'm turning 33 this month, actually, in a few weeks. Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So I think I'm kind of like more leaning toward becoming a mom, becoming a wife. And as that's increasingly become more real in my life, um, I have noticed that my body has just unfolded differently. Like I'm gaining weight in different areas of my body that I normally wouldn't. And I'm also okay with like the weight that I am in now. Like I actually feel Mm. an appreciation and I think it is because I'm like thinking like, wow, like I'm a woman now. And it took me a very long time to really feel like a woman. There was a lot of fears that I had to overcome. There was a lot of, you know, um, self-doubt and all of that. And like, now that I feel like I have a good understanding of where I can place the burden down and where I can actually rise as a woman, it has given me such uh, a deeper understanding of myself and appreciation that as I'm developing mentally and growing spiritually, my body is too. That's totally fucking cool. Bodies are supposed to change. Yes. Like that took me a long time to accept, you know, there's all, all this marketing around get back to your high school body, like get oh, back gosh. to your, your, your college weight, like whatever it is. And it's like, we're denying reality, which is that we age, we grow, our hormones shift and change. So therefore our bodies shift and change. And I think what you said is so beautiful as you're growing spiritually and emotionally, your body is also growing and changing with you. The physical changes as we grow as well. And I think you said something else too about attachment outside of ourselves, like looking for validation outside of ourselves and not being able to feel into your womanhood, into Mm -hmm. your feminine energy as strongly because you weren't full on the inside. And I think a lot of body image issues is a representation of a void internally. And we attach our how we feel about ourselves, our value, our worth to external things. For a lot of women, that is how we look. We attach to an ideal of what our body should be. For other people, it's attaching to success, productivity. Like that was definitely a way, another way that I channeled anxiety when I didn't feel whole was, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm just going to make myself really busy and produce a lot of output and therefore I will feel good about myself. If I Mm -hmm. achieve this, I will feel good about myself. If I fit into this size, I will feel good about myself. But newsflash, when you get that, if you're still empty on the inside, you still don't feel good about yourself. Right. So the more that we can tune into ourselves and peel back those layers and really get real with ourselves, face the shame, 
face the fears, face the things about yourself that you're scared to dig into, your trauma, your family history, things that happened to you when you were a child, things, your experiences as an adult, everything that shapes and molds and shifts who we are. We have to heal from those things and you have to feel it to heal it. So you have to go in, find those areas that feel uncomfortable and sit with them and allow them to move through you. Energy has to move and emotions, people like to say, is energy in motion. So the more that we allow ourselves to emote and to express that, the more we release it and move it through us. Great ways to do that are things like yoga, physically moving the energy through the body, doing something like Reiki healing or acupuncture where, you know, it's a little more um, alternative, I can say, um, but using energetics and healing modalities around those energies to shift them out of the body. Um, but even just practicing awareness and mindfulness in your day is a way to move energy, like going for walks, being present with yourself, like having a clear mind, all of those things help open up our energy and just help us have more mindfulness about how we operate, who we are, what we want out of ourselves. I think that it's very important to bring yourself back to yourself and focus on yourself. But I also feel that community is highly important. And I think women naturally are good at forming a community, talking, chatting, checking up on each other. But B, I feel it's, it's very important to mention that we have to be mindful of the way that we talk about ourselves and, and the topics we do talk about with our community, because that can often reinforce a lot of that negativity mm. uh, if we're yeah. not careful. And in my journey of my mom body changing, and I've fluctuated between weights so often that I can't, I don't know where to put all this clothes. Because of course, you know, you <laughs> drop weight or you put on weight and the first thing you do is buy clothes. Um, and support from my partner was really, I was lucky to have that because he just never seemed to see anything wrong with me. Uh, and I had a list of things that I wanted to change, including, you know, plastic surgery and just playing with these ideas and throwing them out there to see what he would say. But also because I really was intrigued and he always gave me the reassurance that I needed and I almost anytime I'm like struggling with body image he's always there to hold my hand and pick me up and really reaffirm that I am beautiful and that my body has transformed in a cycle up and down over the years and that I'm just beautiful and perfect the way that I am mm. so in in thinking about community and how often women encourage each other about like the diet tip, like someone will tell me like, you look really good. The yoga you're doing is, you know, really toning your body. And I'm like, I'm not toning my body. I'm actually just loving myself. And I stopped exercising. Well, yoga is exercise, but like the actual like sit-ups and, you know, the crunches and the toning of the stomach and the butt and the, the, things I use what are they called the booty bands there you go <laughs> like you know I really just stopped all of that so you perceiving me as looking great you know that's great thank you so much but I actually haven't even been doing much of that I just kind of came into loving myself but like we mentioned earlier that's often 
when you work on yourself that shows in other people so how can we how can we navigate the troubling waters of dieting because of course having a healthy diet is great but where do we draw the line and where does this dieting become almost a hindrance in our trying in our self acceptance i think there's a big connection between dieting and community which you kind of just said like when we're in this community, we do kind of feed off of each other, you know, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) We share this collective energy, like everything is energy, all the thoughts we think, all the emotions we carry, our bodies are energy. And when we're with other people, we are picking up on that energy from others and we are giving our energy to others. So I did want to just touch on the community piece for a second. I think community can be really powerful But as you said, it can also kind of feed the negativity. And I really had to start to learn to have energy hygiene and to be very thoughtful with my own energy and take responsibility for the energy that I'm bringing to the conversation Mm -hmm. and the energy that I bring to community. Um, And I think a lot of that comes with just age and wisdom, getting older, having more life experience. But so much of that for me came through my healing of the relationship with myself and therefore the relationship with my body. And I started to realize I don't want to participate in negative conversations around body. And I also don't want to really participate in conversations around dieting. It's so in our forefront all the time because of marketing, media, social media, celebrity culture, If you go look at any tabloid in a supermarket, it's just covered with women's bodies and what the new latest trend is, the new fad, the new diet, what to do to drop 20 pounds by tomorrow, which is literally impossible. Um, There's so much connection between diet and just like the world that we live in. And it's kind of hard to escape. So I have chosen not to participate in diet conversations anymore and talking about what I'm going to do to like cut back, what I'm going to do to get in shape, like all these things. Um, I also think diet and dieting are different. Dieting is obviously when you're subscribing to a specific diet to look a certain way, to, to achieve some sort of outcome. And to me, diet is a lifestyle. It's how you choose to fuel yourself so that you feel your best. And Mm -hmm. I think there's so many fad diets out there that you can try, but we're so bio individual. You really have to test the waters for yourself of what makes you feel good, what doesn't. And for me, that came pretty easily um, because I did do an elimination diet last year. I have Hashimoto's. It's an autoimmune illness. Um, I became sick with it about two years ago and really started my healing journey at the start of 2020. And in that healing, I did an elimination diet to help see what my body was reactive to and what caused more symptoms of this illness in my body. Um, And that was the first time that I started to redefine my relationship with diet and with how I chose to feed myself. You know, prior to that, 
my diet was based on these fads. It was like, okay, well, what can I cut out to like make sure I don't look this way or, you know, to trim the fat here and lose weight in my legs, like whatever it is. Um, And through this illness and this healing process, I was able to look at food as how am I going to fuel myself today? How, what am I going to choose to eat that's going to help my body function? Um, I follow a lot of dietitians and functional medicine doctors and stuff on Instagram um, because I'm very invested in holistic healing and I think there's so much power in food. Food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen across a few different accounts people saying that food either fuels you what you choose to eat either makes you feel good and has a positive function in your body or it depletes you. It either gives you energy or takes energy away. And that was really powerful for me because I started to have a lot more awareness around, okay, if I eat this thing, how am I going to feel? Not what am I going to look like? And not how am I going to feel emotionally, meaning like, oh, I'm going to be mad at myself or hold that guilt or whatever that I used to have when I struggled with eating disorders. Um, But how am I going to feel physically? How is my physical body going to respond to this food? And it's completely different than my husband. It's completely different than any of my friends. Like food makes us feel differently. There's things I can eat that my husband can't tolerate that hurt his stomach and vice versa. And so I think this term of diet really is about lifestyle choices and awareness. Like, mm-hmm. what are you choosing every day to make yourself feel the most whole, to make yourself have the most energy, and to make yourself feel the most at peace with the choices that you're making? Totally. That reminds me of like intuitive eating. And mm. honestly, I haven't looked into it too much, but. I mean, what I'm understanding just from like the word, it's like, you all you need is based intuition. On... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, I mean, that's been really helpful for me just recently, because I'm starting to understand like, what foods actually make me feel tired. So if I eat mm. like too much bread, or like dairy or like cheese, like, I sometimes feel a little bit like I don't have enough energy. Sometimes I feel mm-hmm. like I don't have enough energy after the fact. And when I eat greens, I feel great. Actually, when I eat meat, and I know there's not a lot of like meat lovers, but I feel better. And maybe it's just like the nutrients that I need. Um, mm-hmm. Even though like broccoli has actually a lot more protein than like red meats. And I've been doing like some digging on like different foods and like the nutritional value um, of each of these. But uh, point is that I've, I've been starting to like really take note on how my body feels like an hour or two after I eat a meal and then start to kind of mentally log what those foods are if I'm feeling tired. Um, mm. So I think that's, that's just been like really good. Um, and I really, really appreciate that we're talking about community as it ties to our body image and the way that we perceive ourselves or engaging in this whole diet talk um, with our communities. One of our communities is our families um, and friends, right? And you mentioned friends and um, our upbringing, I think, is just another layer onto what that community is because that's where we grow most of our roots, you know, that's where we build our 
self-identity often, and we sometimes carry the values that were taught to us. And then we get to a certain age and we start to really self-assess and look back at what those values are. And you start to, as an adult, branch out and discover what is truly authentic to you, what is actually meaningful for you. And in my journey of um, really changing the way that I was perceiving my body in the Latino community, being uh, thicker or more curvy is preferred. Like that's what's considered to be more beautiful. Um, so growing up, I was really skinny. And I also had like my dad's jeans. So I'm just like a little bit leaner uh, compared to other uh, other groups. And I I just recall like, comments you know like I was always uh complimented more at home when I did put on a little bit of weight or if I was like looking thicker especially like on the you know curt like butt area like hips area um but then booty? yeah girl <laughs> when that booty had a little jiggle when that booty <laughs> all the sisters were like <laughs> they're like clap clap <laughs> I mean, it's but, true, yeah. Yeah, and then, but then on the other side, like the American side, like the, you know, white friends, coworkers, you know, strangers, etc. I was getting complimented on how, like, you know, you're so skinny. They would tell me how skinny I was and um, how, like, I had, like, a nice body. So I had an internal conflict because I was like, well, I'm only beautiful in certain groups. And who doesn't want to just be like universally accepted, right, for your appearance. And so um, going back to what you said, Mel, it, it, it really just like the light bulb for me turned on when I started to really just be more honest with myself. And I was like, well, what is my lifestyle? Like, I don't want to give up working out or being active in order for me to gain a little bit of weight to perhaps be seen in a certain way. Cause that's just not me. Like I like to, I need to be active actually. Like it's not even that I like it that much, but like, I, I just have a lot of energy that I need to like expel so that I do feel balanced. Um, and that's where I think my peace really started to come in. It's just being like, all right, I'm willing to give up this idea that I need to fit in. My validation is going to come from the outside. Like what makes me happy is that I'm eating the way that feels good for me, that I'm being active in the way that feels right. And it just becomes a lifestyle choice. And I think that once you determine what your lifestyle truly is, that really resonates with you, all those other thoughts just start to like fall off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think what you said, trying to fit in with everybody, it's never going to happen. Like mm -hmm. everybody has different ideals of what they think somebody should look like, what they think they should look like. like you can't satisfy everyone. Your only job is to satisfy yourself. So the fact that you were able to tune in with yourself and start to evaluate like 
kind of your family dynamic and your cultural background and how it kind of fits into America and, Mm -hmm. you know, this other side of your life and trying to find that common ground between the two. Like you came to the conclusion that it's actually not about anyone else. It's not about that culture. It's not about the country you live in. It's, it's about you and accepting yourself and doing what feels good and right for your body. And you said something too about, you know, intuitive eating and starting to write down the things that make you feel tired. This kind of ties back to um, that quote that I mentioned about food either gives you energy or it depletes you of energy. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, if you eat a salad, that's going to give you energy. And if you eat a cupcake, that's going to take energy away from you. What I really meant about that was obviously the physical aspect of it. How does it make you feel physically? Do you have some sort of sensitivity to something? Obviously, you want to try to avoid eating those things. But it's the energy that we attach to the food. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I was living in a disordered eating state, I could eat salad all day long, that food was depleting me of energy. It wasn't giving me the energy that I needed. It wasn't fulfilling Mm -hmm. me because I was eating it out of contempt. I was eating it Mm -hmm. out of, you know, hatred of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't eating it with this mindset of like, oh, this is nourishing me. This is healing me. Food is medicine. Um, And now when I make food choices, I might choose to eat the cupcake. I mean, I absolutely love sweets. It's like my biggest, (laughs) I don't like to say weakness because I think you should be able to eat whatever you want to eat. But like, I definitely have a weakness. Like I can't (laughs) avoid it. Um, I mean, when I eat those things, sometimes I don't feel good. Sometimes, you know, I get a sugar rush, you know, I have a stomach ache, whatever it is. Um, but that food still gave me energy because I really, really wanted it in that moment. And it really satisfied something for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to find when I eat based on emotional state, that's when I feel the worst. That's when Mm -hmm. I feel more run down. Um, that's when I feel the most depleted of my energy is when I'm making a choice based on kind of an emotional void that I'm trying Mm -hmm. to fill. Um, I think with intuitive eating, what I've really learned to become an intuitive eater is checking in with yourself on how you feel physically and emotionally when you make choices around food. Food can be so triggering for people. It's such a culture thing. We use food as a celebration. We use food as communion. We use food as um kind of healing like if you're going through a breakup you eat a tub of ice cream you know that kind of (laughs) mindset around it Mm -hmm. so there's so much emotional attachment to food and the more that we can kind of peel that back and bring that emotional attachment back to ourselves and try to fill ourselves up in other way we can other ways we can heal our relationship with diet with how we eat with all the messages that we're served all the time we can separate ourselves from that for sure I definitely can relate to the emotional eating. I like to feel just the joy and the sensuality of biting into chocolate and then just (laughs) like slowly chewing and appreciating because I don't want to have too much. And it's good. And in other ways, it's good and bad, right? It's just, it's perspective down to perspective. But when I am eating plants and incorporating plants, now especially plant consciousness is something that I am fascinated by 
and in growing my own garden this past summer and really just trying to step into what it is to be sustainable in, in my life, where I live, in my house, in my lifestyle, I am emotionally driven by the plants that I'm incorporating. And I visualize how they grew and when I would spend some time out in the garden and then when I could eat whatever or make a tea out of whatever, that connection between growing and ex the experience with the plants was so satisfying. So that's satisfying. Beautiful. Yeah, that's really powerful too because I have like a similar experience um, with eating meat. So before I you know, came down with illness and kind of went on this healing journey. I was a vegan. Yeah, I'll say I was a pescatarian. Like I was mostly vegan, but here and there I would eat some fish, some shrimp. Um, sometimes I would have eggs. But I had been eating mostly plant-based for, I want to say, five years at the point that my body kind of started breaking down. And part of my healing was switching to a paleo framework of a diet so incorporating animal protein back into my diet, um, eating tons of plants, but using the elimination diet to determine which plants my body was reactive to. So which ones mm. made me more bloated, made my stomach uncomfortable. Um, you know, there's a lot of plants that are hard to digest and break down. So I really had to redefine my relationship, not only with food, but specifically with animal protein and eating meat again, because my choice to become a vegetarian was based on animal rights and just feeling like I could do my part by not contributing to, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, conventional farming and conventional ag agriculture. And it was a very spiritual experience for me to incorporate meat back in. And I kind of had to have that same level of consciousness that you were speaking about with plants towards the animals. And I started to be very, very conscious and aware of where the meat was sourced from, you know, only eating local organic from the farmer's market where these animals live beautiful lives, like at a farm, you know, they're not kept in cages and confined mm -hmm. and, you know, all the horrible, horrible things that you hear about. Um, and really paying my respect to the animals that I choose to consume and healing from that like attachment to veganism and trusting the cycle of life and trusting nature and trusting that my body would heal if I made these choices out of respect and out of acknowledgement for what these animals are sacrificing for us. And I think the more that we can connect to nature in that way and realize that we're all the same like yes we have consciousness in a different way than plants do we have consciousness in a different way even than animals do but we're all part of the same ecosystem and we all feed off of that energy together and it can be a really beautiful experience to redefine how we view food and how we view our relationship with nature in our world mm -hmm. through awareness consciousness and how we choose to eat Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I agree. It, it's a beautiful cycle. And what I was hearing was just, um, just more acceptance, right? And just more flow, more like surrendering and mm. 
not being so strict and hard on ourselves with the decisions that we're making. But, you know, when someone diets and we want to reach like a certain weight, like that's also hard. Like there's like a goal that you're like trying to reach all the time instead of just like being. And I yes. feel that once you're just like, all right, I'm letting it go. It's going to be, I'm just going to let things unfold. It just feels so much better. Um, and that's what I was just hearing from that, that story that you just shared, which I think is really great. Just kind of reframing the relationship that you have with the past attachments mm -hmm. um, in terms of like diets and uh, the kind of food that you are limiting yourself to. Yeah. Which is really beautiful. Thank you. One of my favorite quotes is more being less doing. And it took me a long time to fully integrate that and understand what that even means because I was so plugged in to productivity and just constantly jumping from thing to thing and doing, 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 and not feeling, not wanting to pause at any point because if I was alone with my thoughts for too long, like it would go down a dark road and really learning what presence is and being in the moment and just being with yourself versus in your head, thinking about the next thing, thinking about what else there is to do all the time. So that's mm -hmm. a mantra that I use often when I'm in that kind of chaotic energy is just more being, less doing. Mm, that's so good. I think you're giving us a sneak peek to the answer to the question that we'd love to wrap up this episode with. And this episode has been so good. It has yes. been so long and I really so don't good. want it to end. I have other Me things either. I want to say, <laughs> <laughs> but I would like to ask you, what would you like to leave our listeners with? What is your feel good tip? To be present with yourself to practice mindfulness and awareness and presence as much as you can. And that can sound really abstract, but as you start to do it, it becomes easier and you kind of start to fall into a cadence with it. We operate on autopilot so much. We often forget that we're actually in control of how we feel, of the things that we think, our mind does not control us. We control our mind. And if you can take that moment to pause and be present with yourself and remind yourself that you're in the driver's seat, whether you know, you're having anxiety about your body, anxiety about food, just anxiety in general, stress in general, battling negative self-talk, being really critical of yourself, just taking that moment to have awareness that you're in that moment and you're experiencing those feelings, those thoughts, those emotions and choosing what you want to do next. Do you want to stay in that place? Do you want to stay in that vibration or do you want to make a choice and start to think differently, move differently to get yourself out of that space? So practicing presence, awareness and mindfulness. I think that is the root of living a really full, happy and healthy life. So beautifully said. Thank you yes. so much. Yes. Thank, thank you, you so guys much, so Mel. much. This was really wonderful. I loved getting to chat with you guys and just have a really safe, vulnerable space where I felt really comfortable 
opening up and yeah, just sharing a little piece of myself and what I've learned through energy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you truly uh, embody the the presence and the balance and I felt it all the way out here. Uh, I'm sure Ange felt it as well. Oh, yeah. um, You're so thank calm. You. So I calm. Love it. So peaceful. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Thank I'm you so much. Frazzled all the time. It is <laughs> it is so refreshing to just yes. look at you. You're so calm and everything you say brings such tranquility. It's just so easy. It's like an easy message. It's just hard to implement. Mm-hmm. and you make it sound doable thank you oh my gosh thank you so much you telling me i'm calm is like the biggest compliment i could ever receive because oh, wow. <laughs> i never used to be calm like i was always living in a state of anxiety and frenzy and just kind of chaos in my mm-hmm. mind and i've really achieved a level of calm and tranquility over these last couple years through healing the relationship with myself and using tools like Reiki and yoga and my relationship with food and how I feel myself. So that is just a massive compliment. So thank you, I received that. Thank you for sharing all of your stories and your personal journey it, it and your tips. It has been so helpful and I can't wait to see you next time. Yeah, see you guys soon. All right, bye. All right. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.